Merry Christmas, everybody. Joy of the season. Peace on earth. Seasons greetings. Goodwill to all men. Santa Claus. Let us rejoice. Jingle bells. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. Silent night. Who, who recognises that these are phrases we all come across at Christmas? They, just the, the mere mention of them brings us to a place where we, we recognise the season we're in. We recognise where we are in, in terms of the year. Who finds Christmas a fairly stressful time? Because you know, you've got to plan holidays, trees, family events. You've got to put up with the fact that I, I love what Carmen said, that children tend to clump all the... Uh, all the Christmas decorations in one place. I think that's mainly because they can only reach a certain, a certain distance um, and they haven't developed a sort of a balanced eye for these things. But they're all phrases that evoke the spirit of celebration that we call Christmas. But why do we actually celebrate Christmas? Why Christmas? Is it scriptural? Is it just cultural? Is it even worse, just a copy of an old pagan festival that we've fallen into the trap of copying, believing that it's holy? There are so many variations in how Christmas is celebrated around the world, both by people of faith and by people without that belief or who just see it as a holiday season, that its origins are shrouded in legend. Where's the smoke? It feels like I should be... It's okay. No, don't. <laughs> So why Christmas? Is it actually relevant to our faith or should we avoid it as a worldly corruption of something holy? Because, you know, neither the Old Testament or the New mention anything resembling what we call Christmas. <laughs> okay, so my throat's a bit dry. There's no need for you to be mean. No more Wobbits, Rudolphs. Throw him to the ground, Centurion. <laughs> anyway, they don't. The, the Christmas isn't mentioned anywhere in the Bible, but both the Old and the New Testament definitely mention the reason we celebrate it. Isaiah chapter nine and verse six is probably one of the most recognisable passages in the Old Testament about Jesus, and it should be recognisable to you because you've just heard it read out. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And interestingly, as we look in the New Testament, if we look at John's Gospel, it is actually the only reference to the birth of Jesus that he makes. And he echoes this passage in John 1.14. He actually says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And like Isaiah, John's focus is to remind us that Jesus was born to restore our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that's, that's his take, in fact that's his only take on the story of Christmas. Uh, we actually see the other Gospels taking a, a, quite a different range of approaches to the birth of Jesus. Matthew's account begins with, when we've all avoided reading it, genealogy. 
Nobody likes genealogies. But he's, he demonstrates that the birth of Jesus is not an isolated event, but actually one with a rich history. And we learn from Matthew is that the virgin birth was anticipated in prophecy. That Jesus is not only powerful, but he's faithful to promises made throughout history. It's important to know. Mark's gospel begins with the ministry of John the Baptist, not the birth of Jesus. What was John's ministry about? John's ministry was all about repentance. Mark 1.14. Interesting. It says, later on after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. So repent is the key word for Mark. John the Baptist preached it. Jesus preached it. And Mark wants us all to remember that it's the good news that he believes that can change our lives. One of the main focuses of Mark's gospel is the fact that he wants us to celebrate the birth of our Saviour by recognising our need to be saved. So there are important things that the, the Gospels can tell us. Luke, if anybody tells you they're reading the story of Christmas, it's probably out of Luke. He gives us the greatest details surrounding the birth of Jesus. And the interesting thing about his attention to detail is that he often focuses on worship around the birth of Jesus. Luke 1.46 has Mary's worship song, which is commonly called the Magnificat. In verses 67 to 79, Zechariah worships God after his sight has been restored. And he, that is mentioned in great detail. Luke tells us of the heavenly host praising God in Luke 2.13 and the shepherds praising God in Luke 2.20. When Jesus is presented in the temple in verse 29, Luke tells us of Simeon's worship. So before and during and after the birth of Jesus, there is always worship occurring. And Luke brings that out in his gospel message. And so these details of, of worship expressions are not just to inform us of past events, but actually to invite us to join in their expression. So what we do on Christmas Eve, what we do coming up, what we've just done with that, that song, is enter into a place where we've actually stirred our hearts in worship, in anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. And that's you know, something that I'll be talking about on Christmas Eve, how you know, that, that phrase that we, we often bandy around, God is love. Yeah, it's, it's a nice phrase. sounds very religious and very, very holy. What's it actually mean? How does that outwork? How does God outwork his love? Is it just a fuzzy feeling? Or is it actually just, is it something more important than that? And so I'll be talking about that on, on Christmas Eve. Um, so we can see from the scripture that the birth of the Messiah, the, the person we know as Jesus, is a pretty big deal. And so it would seem that along with the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate at Easter, the birth of Jesus would be worth celebrating. Is that fair enough? Okay. So then, why didn't that happen? We actually don't see the early church celebrating the birth of, of Jesus. In fact, it didn't happen until about the 4th century AD. And there are a couple of actually really good reasons for that. Because we, we have to take our, our cultural glasses off and think about what it was like uh, back in those times, that the fact is that people didn't celebrate birthdays. Never mind Jesus' birthday, they didn't, they didn't celebrate their own. Only rich people could afford to celebrate birthdays. 
There are actually two birthdays mentioned in the Bible. You know whose they are? Pharaohs and Herods. Both great examples of human beings. Uh, It was also considered a bit of a pagan custom, and so Christians avoided it. And of course, the newly formed Christian church was struggling with this idea that we are born with original sin. And therefore, celebrating our birth with sin on our souls was not something that was in their psyche to do at all. And so this, this celebration did not actually become part of church culture until four, 400 years later. Now, some scholars say it was celebrated to fit in with an older pagan celebration, the uh, celebration of, of Saturn, uh, in order for Christians to become culturally relevant. And a lot of, a lot of um, atheists will actually point to the fact that Christianity copies a lot of pagan customs just to fit in. But interestingly, if you read church history, the 4th century was a time where the church was actually at great pains to make sure that their message was separate from the culture of the time. And so if, if they were going to bring in a new celebration that happened to coincide with a pagan one, let me tell you, it's far more likely that they were in direct opposition rather than trying to slide in under the radar and uh, sort of slip into a a culturally acceptable norm. I suspect that it was a a flag planted in the sand saying, hey, this is what you might be into, but we're here for something different, something new, something holy, something you need to know, something which is going to change your life and save your souls. And so from that time on, the celebration of the birth of Jesus under the umbrella of what we now call Christmas, has morphed into what we see today. There was a small hiccup. Who's ever heard of Oliver Cromwell? The Puritans in England? No? Read your English history. Uh, He actually managed to get Christmas banned for about five years. Um, And then he died and Christmas came back with a vengeance. Um, But so there's there's been a bit of theological to-ing and fro-ing along the way about about Christmas. Um, But much of what's become an integral part of Christmas, especially in our Western culture, I don't know whether you've noticed, but it bears little resemblance to the actual gospel stories of the birth of Jesus. Over the centuries, kings and saints have become significant figures representing Christmas. Fir trees and candles, burning logs and candy canes, puddings and mistletoe have all become physical representations of our celebration of the birth of the Messiah, even though they're... um, significance for the core meaning of Christmas is, to say the least, a little suspect. We know that Jesus, for instance, was probably not born on the 25th of December. There's actually no real evidence that he was. But nevertheless, this is a day that most people, Christians and non-Christians alike, celebrate as his birthday. And if we're to mark it at all, this seems probably the only reasonable time to do it. But to what end? What's the genuinely Christian way to observe the birth of Jesus? Quite obviously, the fact that the world often celebrates the day in non-Christian ways is no excuse for Christians to either neglect or misuse it. There are many things that we can take from the story of the birth of Jesus to justify our celebration of Christmas. But I haven't got much time, so I'm not going to go through them all. We could be here for days. Wouldn't that be good? I actually got a, a really sort of... This, this is 
free. This has nothing to do with my message. Have you ever, ever woken up in the middle of the night sort of cold and, and reached to pull the blankets up? I was so tired the other night that I wake sort of in a daze feeling cold and I grabbed the blankets and I jerked them so hard I reached the end of the blanket and punched myself in the mouth. <laughs> woke myself up completely then. I got this big, big lump in the middle of my lip. Um, so Christmas can be quite dangerous. That's, that's my message. <laughs> uh, I just thought I'd, I'd let, you, let you know. That's probably why I fed Christmas earlier. It, it's self-inflicted injury. So I, there's something, reading the Christmas story, every time I read it, there's something new. And one of the things that fascinated me that when I was reading it the other day is it can be summarized in the fact that the joy of Christmas only comes by revelation from God. And you might think that's a, an odd statement to make, which is obviously an important and pivotal event in Christian history. But think about this. If it wasn't for the message delivered by angels, then no one would have understood what the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ meant. Not the shepherds, not Joseph, and not even Mary. It seems to me that if we don't grasp the truths that the angels revealed to Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds, 2,000 years ago concerning his birth, I mean really understanding what they meant, then undoubtedly this Christmas the real meaning of the birth of Christ will escape us too. The world won't let us miss the holiday. There'll be a little Christian sentiment, some happy, happiness and much activity. But this is all that there will be unless we understand the angel's message. Because who knows how many times the angels appear in the Christmas story? Five. It is the most angel-dense piece of scripture in the whole Bible. Because it's obviously a pivotal and important point. God wanted to get something across here. And he knew that people weren't going to understand. He was asking people to, to take on board some incredibly stressful, uh, unthinkable and difficult situations in their life and come out the other side of it healthy and, and complete whole people. And he knew that the way he was going to orchestrate things, that this wasn't going to happen unless he intervened. There are five appearances of angels in the Christmas story. The first one is the appearance of Gabriel to Zechariah to announce the birth of John the Baptist. Then Gabriel appears to Mary to announce the birth of Jesus. Then an angel appears to Joseph to explain to him about the fact that Mary is going to have a virgin birth. That's a very important one. Joseph was not a happy camper. Then there's the appearance of a multitude of angels to the shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem. And then there's the appearance of an angel to Joseph in a dream to tell him to flee to Egypt to escape the wrath of King Herod. And later on, there's actually another one uh, where an angel appears to tell them they can come back, but that's a bit later. And so, there's an incredible number of angels that appear at Christmas. And they all bring a, an important message to people. God was very, very intentional in making sure the people at the time got the message that he was delivering to humanity. And if he had to do that for them... Imagine how much more he needs to do it for us who are several centuries removed from that particular event. Excuse me a sec. 
Nice slide. Okay. So out of these five appearances of angels, there are three really important messages that we can take as being important for Christmas. The first message was to Mary. Luke chapter 1 and verse 30 says, Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You have found favour with God. With what he's about to tell her, you'd sort of worry about that. It says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And so we've got here the, an emphasis on the fulfilment of prophecy and the underlying truth that God is faithful. I mean, think about it. Since the time of Malachi, the last of the prophets, who lived in the 5th century before Jesus was born. So it's 500 years before that. There was nobody had, who had been raised up to declare the word of the Lord. And so it's not unimaginable that the Jewish people were thinking, has God forgotten us? Is God not going to deliver on his promises? And then suddenly the angels appear. First to Zechariah, then to Mary, Joseph and the shepherds. And the word is out. God has not forgotten the time of fulfilment has come. And this ties in with Zechariah's prophecy further down in verse 68, where he says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He sent us a mighty saviour from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his prophets long ago. So you see, if Christmas means anything, it at least means this. God has not forgotten his people. And this is the first message of Christmas. Because I, I, sometimes you feel that God's forgotten you. Perhaps you've prayed for something and you haven't received an answer, or at least not the answer you wanted. Perhaps you're anxious to be delivered from sin, something that torments you, but you don't seem to have had deliverance. Has God forgotten me, you're asking? No, God has not forgotten you. God is faithful. The second message brought by the angels concerning the birth of Jesus, was the message to Joseph. Who knows that Joseph was in a difficult position. He thought that he was engaged to a woman who had been unfaithful. But the angel appeared to Joseph and explained what happened. The word of the angel to Joseph confirmed his responsibility to name Mary's child. Now you notice that the angel had told Mary what to call him. But the angel also came to Joseph in Matthew 1.21. says, She will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So this is something that they're called to do together. But the thing that he tells Joseph is that the name Jesus, of course, which is a shortening of the Greek name that I can't pronounce, um, which means Jesus the Saviour. And so... Actually, I can pronounce it. I've got it written down. That was clever of me. Jehoshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. So the message to Joseph centres primarily on the great work that Jesus, the Messiah, was to do. He was to save his people because he is the saviour. The Christmas story should help us recognise ourselves as sinners who have fallen short of God's standards. And nothing within us, nothing that we can do, is ever going to raise us to fulfil them. Jesus was born 
because we need a saviour. Finally, there's the appearance of first one angel, then the multitude of angels to the shepherds as they were in the fields around Bethlehem. The emphasis of this message, much easier to take. If you're, if you're getting tense thinking, oh, what's this message going to be about? The message to them is the proclamation of joy. Luke 2.10, the angels reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I'll bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Joy is a wonderful thing. Joy is an appropriate part of Christmas. Joy is not happiness. Happiness is a great thing too. But happiness is related to circumstances, whereas joy comes from God. It's based on what God has done and is given to us by God and sustained by God. We need to have the kind of joy that Mary and Joseph and the shepherds had on that first Christmas morning. Because think, did, did they have joy? Of course they did. The Messiah had been born. But were their circumstances good? Not really. Mary and Joseph were far from home. They'd been turned down at Travel Lodge because there was no place to sleep. So they'd found a barn. And Jesus had been born in a feeding trough. And so it wasn't exactly what you'd call ideal situation. But I imagine that their joy, despite their situation, was the greatest the world has ever seen. Why? Because it came from God. It was centred on the birth of the Saviour. If we can know this joy, then we too can give glory to God and possess that peace that transcends all understanding. The messages of the angels do not reinforce our secular views of Christmas. Instead, they've revealed to us the purposes of Almighty God. The first message is a message of the faithfulness of God. The second concerns the salvation of mankind. And the third message is a message of joy for man and glory to God. We need to grab hold of these messages this Christmas. We need to move in our world with a revelation. We need to ask God. I mean, God thought the birth of Jesus was so critical in His plan that He sent five angels to make sure that people did not misunderstand what He was doing. I believe to make sure we understand what God is doing. We need, we need to consult God. We don't have to consult angels. I love what Cody said earlier. We, we, we didn't plan any of this, by the way. But he, he talked about how We've been left with the, the Holy Spirit, wonderful counsellor. And that is, that is our avenue to God. That is through whom we can actually connect with God. And I believe this Christmas, that is our call as believers. Enjoy the secular parts of Christmas. Have fun giving gifts, receiving gifts, putting tinsel on Christmas trees. Shopping on Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all the other weird shopping times of the year. You know, enjoy sort of bringing your credit card to the max and possibly past. I don't advise it, but you know, it happens. But remember, 
the message of Christmas, the faithfulness of God, the salvation of mankind, the joy that surpasses understanding comes from our connection with God. So I encourage you this Christmas, take time to foster that relationship. Take time to get it settled in your heart that God hasn't forgotten you, that God is faithful to you, that He has placed a joy in your heart that this world cannot steal. And out of that revelation, I believe that we are called to impact the world. It's out of that revelation that we invite people to our Christmas Eve service. It's out of that revelation that we can be a light at Christmas parties rather than people who light the room when we leave. That we can be the source of comfort and joy in people's lives in a time where circumstances aren't always bringing happiness to people. We can be the people that bring joy. To do that, we have to have a connection with God. And before I finish this morning, I just want to give everybody here and people online an opportunity to actually make that connection this morning. You might have made it before and you just need to refresh that connection. You've had a revelation about God's goodness and the importance of Jesus' birth that you're thinking, I used to have a great relationship with God. I I need to recommit to that relationship. Or you may have never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've heard the stories, but you haven't had a a relationship with Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you're online this morning, then you can press that button in in the chat that says raise hand. You don't actually have to physically raise your hand. But if you press that button, a member of our team will actually get together with you and help you pray a prayer to recommit or to just to commit your life to following Jesus. And if you're here this morning, there will be people here at the end of the service who will pray for any needs that you may have. But if you're here and you know you need to commit your heart and your life to Jesus, whether for the first time or recommitting it, come up the front, speak to them. Ask them to pray with you to recommit or to commit your life to following Jesus Christ.